Delighted to be joined by former Kerry senior footballer Owen Brosnan uh, to look ahead to Kerry versus Cork this Sunday in the Munster Senior Football Championship final. Owen, you must be delighted so far with the former Kerry. Yeah, they've um, they've rebounded very well, I suppose, from last year. They were very, very disappointed and everyone in the county was very disappointed with their performance last year in Parky Cuevas. It came as I suppose a bit of a shock to everyone, but um a bit of a was a sucker punch really a last minute goal where you've no chance to recover or anything like you know so the rebound there was a lot of factors in that really I suppose it was just the year that it was but weather conditions things like that and obviously being caught by a sucker punch with a late goal it's just hard to it's hard to take so I think they did they trained very hard over the first number of months this year in their own individual on, on their own and whatnot and they they hit the ground running really in the league and um they've they've continued that form in the in in, in the um in the championship, the two games so far, Tipperary and, and, and Clare, who they put away pretty comfortably, really. And I suppose, like, when you look back at that court game, the question marks were kind of raised when Brino Bregley was brought in as wing forward and he's a defender, I suppose. But, like, since then, the shackles have really been thrown off. Yeah, very much so. And I think the, the management took a lot of criticism, really, and they took it in the chin and they they, they possibly justified, but... Um, they rebounded and they, 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 they took it in the chin. They've learned and they're they picked an attacking team this year, which is I suppose what people are crying out to. Um, a lot of things went wrong last year. Um, the conditions, a lot of would say wides that were kicked that normally wouldn't be normally wouldn't be kicked wide. Like so there was a lot of things went in. Cork just hung in, hung in. They got a last minute goal. They 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 they, they stole it from us really. Like because obviously they 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 were the great Cork team because they went out the following following week or a couple of weeks after that and were comprehensively beaten by tip like you know so it was um, a lot of a lot of factors like very slippery ball that day there was a lot of factors in it obviously the, the, the team selection would have been one part of that um but thus far this year i suppose that they've been putting wrapping up big scores getting goals whatnot like so there's been no complaints in that regard certainly in 2021 thus far is the one noticeable difference for you the press carrier putting on the opposition's kickouts this year yeah, very much so. Now, unfortunately, I didn't get to see any of the games live, so you can only see much. So much I'm looking forward now to hopefully getting a ticket for Fitzgerald Stadium on Sunday. I think there might be one in the pipeline, but uh, I'm hoping my club will look after me in that regard. But um, so it's, it's, I suppose all you're doing is you're watching what's on television, like like everyone else. So yeah, there is a huge pressure, but uh, that's every team. And there, the, the one thing that has struck me is like how well conditioned Kerry have been, and they just seem to have. Between was in January and I don't know was it April when 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 group intercounty training came back together like our fellas were training on their own I know they were doing a lot via Zoom and stuff like that but they really really put the work in over that over the winter like they're they're, they're super shaped to be able to continue that press for 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 seventy minutes. And how did you find the rivalry against Cork when you were playing? Yeah, no, it was um, we were played like we. Growing up, it was really, I suppose, I was growing up in the times, the, the 90s, I suppose, when it was knockout football and it was the, the highlight of the summer going down to Park and Queen with the Stadium. And like, you, 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 were, you were either looking at, you were coming home a year over or obviously you were on to an All-Ireland semi-final generally. So then um, the Cork team, we were a very strong team. Um, I suppose the back door came in then. And I think it was, 02 was the first Kerry Cork All-Ireland semi-final in, um, in, uh, Crook Park and that was a huge event obviously um, 
And then obviously we beat them in a couple of finals after that as well. Like, you know, but they were a very good Cork side. Like, and they, they probably probably deserved one more than one All Ireland. They got over the line in 2010, and possibly even they were on the way down in 2010. Like you, you could say seven, eight, nine might have been their their peak years. Like you know, because they struggled to win the All Ireland in 10. Um, just really were picked down. Really, the final and down had come from nowhere. Um, but certainly like that, that that was a serious Cork team like they were they were two good teams like Kerry were good at the time Dublin were competitive but obviously Tyrone and Kerry were the top two at the time and Cork very very just a, a tiny bit below that really The rivalry itself obviously has kind of pushed away in recent years but I suppose this weekend adds to it now a bit from Cork beating Kerry last year yeah, and um, I suppose that, that last year, obviously there was no crowds there. This year, you have a small crowd there, like so. It, it's not ideal. Uh, normally in Killarney, like you, the, the Cork crowd really come and they take over the town and the colour and midsummer, and obviously the, the weather is very good at the, at the moment, and the weather is promising to be good for the weekend. Like so, it would have been a bumper bumper atmosphere, but it's just a different year with COVID, like you. But um, certainly, I suppose the fact that. Kerry would say at the, top, at the higher levels, Dublin have been ahead of everyone else, but Cork have been struggling really where the fact that they had to go down to Division 3 really to regroup and obviously now they're up in two and they haven't been won a Munster title, I think. So you're talking nearly 10 years, nine years since Cork won a Munster title, like so it's, it's a long time for Cork like to be away from the top level really. Does it surprise you with Cork with the size of the county sports directed now and I suppose their underage success as well in recent years? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I suppose they're, they're underage success. Yes, um, Kerry like haven't uh, haven't um at under twenty level like obviously they've had huge success at minor, but Cork seem to have had the upper hand at, at under twenty level most most years. Um, so but I suppose you have so many different Cork is it, it, it's kind of a unique you know county like you've obviously East Cork the city is mostly hurling obviously you've got Nemo on the bars inside the city with football but West Cork you've got you've got um football but then it's just such a big county like that that um then you've obviously rugby strong cork you've got soccer strong cork whereas down here i suppose it's 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 predominantly football that's what it is in Kerry really obviously there is other sports but not at the the, the highest level we put it that way looking at the game um itself on sunday uh, like i presume with the form of both teams and particularly being from Kerry you can probably only see one result um, this weekend. I expect Kerry to win. Obviously, it's a championship game. It's a knockout game, like so you have to be wary. But uh, I expect Kerry to win now. Have you said that? I expected Kerry to win last year too, and uh, it didn't 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 work out. Like so, I'd be I'd be very disappointed, but very surprised if they don't if they don't win. I think they're a better side. Um, Cork are a decent side, but I don't think as of yet they're at the top levels like that. That um, Kerry are obviously want to win a Munster final, but they're looking at. Dublin really in in, in our Ireland final that's their that's their ultimate goal. It's a you'll hear obviously take one step at a time and they will be treating it one step at a time. But they, 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 their goal is to win in all Ireland and this is one step along the way. Like you know, whereas Cork, now having said that, if they won the weekend, they're only one game away from an All Ireland final. So you just never. It's it's, it's funny like they're obviously without the back door and stuff. But no, I would be surprised if, if Kerry don't don't win on Sunday. You obviously expect Cork to set up um, defensively against this uh, Kerry side and I suppose one thing Kerry are doing really well this year is the interlinking between the forwards moving Sean O'Shea in and out and keeping David Clifford inside. 
Yeah, very much so. Like obviously, Shawnee has as that's that's what Paulie Tifford has come on. He's picking nice passes and stuff. And there's a good bit of interchanging going on. Even the fact we'll say Paul Ganey's generally named on the wing would have been always a corner forward, really, or an inside forward line. Like you know, so there is a good bit of interchanging going on. Like Tipperary set up very defensively, two sweepers really, and they parked in there. Um, obviously that they, they, they felt that, that they had to do that to stay in touch, but took a little while. But Kerry broke it down, and once you break it down, that 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 um. Teams have to come chasing it then, like that, you know. So probably something similar. Corporal set up, maybe not as defensive, we'll say all the time as, as Tipper, but um, you, you, every team, even you got to look at Dublin, you got to look at Kerry. Like when when you lose possession, wing forwards are funneling back. Like it's it's, it's it's far from a a six forward six backs game anymore. Like you know, in the form of Clifford and O'Shea, like it must be pleasing everyone in Kerry, like since the very start of the league and into the championship, they've been unbelievable. Oh, yeah, sure. That's even continuing from their minor days, like they've been super players. That's it, like, you know, now they've obviously got all stars and whatnot, but they, they, they don't mean a whole pile down here. It's, it's all Ireland medals, and that's what they've been, they haven't, they haven't, they've been close, but they haven't got over the line yet. Um, so that, that's what they, that's what they'll be judged on, and that's what they, they're aiming for, like, you know. Is that expectation in Kerry like nearly every year you're expected to win all Ireland? Can it get you? I, as a player? I wouldn't be say you'd be expected, but like you're 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 you're, you're, you're targeting it. We'll put it that way, like you know. And does it get on top of you? All right, I suppose one, 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 once like going back to my own days, I broke into the panel in two thousand. They were winning in all Ireland that year. One, we were hammered by Mead. Two, we were picked by our man in the final. We probably should have won. Three, we were well beaten by Tyrone. I remember I used to be rooming with Marco Shea, like in your three or four years it can drag on and we played Mayo in the final in 04 like and there was a sense of relief once we got over the line in 04 like say like yeah so there, there would be I wouldn't say it's a burden or anything like that but it's it's it's, it's a pressure that's there and sometimes people can react better to pressure and there has been a bit of hype in recent weeks as well with Kerry a lot of people are putting them at number one ahead of Dublin maybe from maybe one or two lacklustre performances uh, from Dublin do you still think Dublin are ahead of Kerry slightly, or do you have uh, to get number one? Dublin, Dublin are the benchmark, like yeah, Dublin are the benchmark. They still have players coming back, let's say, but yeah, it's it, it's very hard. Like what, what they've done over the last number of years has just been unbelievable. It's obviously unprecedented, let's say. So, um, people have got close to them, teams have got close to them, but they they they, they I suppose, like they never panic. They do the same thing. There's a process they go through. They're coming down the last 10, 15 minutes to just. Let's say eco wins will say like you know, so until they're beaten, they are going to be the, the number one. That's the short and narrow of it. Has it surprised you in one sense? Um, Kerry's captain Paul Murphy being left on the bench. Um, in the it game shows game. it shows the competitiveness of it really. Like yeah, it's uh, Paul's a fine player and and, and being captain and whatnot. He missed one game, um, which is a uh, brother's wedding, and somebody came in and they grabbed the jersey, and that's. That's that might bring him in, might bring him in and, and grab the jersey. And we played him against um the Crokes last year against Mid Kerry, and he was a, a very impressive player that year, like that, that that day. So you could see that he's a potential county player in him, and obviously he's got the jersey now and he's done nothing wrong. Um so I, am I surprised? I would have expected Paul Murphy to be starting, but again, we're not seeing the training, we're not seeing the form, you don't know, is there a niggle being carried? You uh, we don't know these things, let's say so like he it's up to him really to, to come in and seize the jersey again. Let's say and that's I'm I'm sure that that's the way he's thinking. 
Yeah, and you talked there about the Dublin panel, like you talked there about the strength of the panel, Paul Murphy not making it, and then Ty Morley uh, missed a game and he hasn't been brought back into the team since. Then you have the Spillans coming in, and I suppose the great thing with Kerry as well, bringing Tommy Walsh, entering the fray, they can really mix it up in, in that, inside that forward unit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, we say the weekend promises to be a good weekend dry. Like, so it's, it's, it, it's, it's suit good footballers, good suit skillful footballers. And like the likes of Killian Spillane, like, is, 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 he had a great game below Cork when he came on. But dry day, foot suits forward, suits the likes of um, Tommy Walsh, high balling, catchy. It's not going to be as much ball spilling, we'll say, like, you know, Fitzgerald Stadium being supreme, supreme condition. Like, you know, so I'm looking forward to a good footballing game, like, yeah. Uh, do you think Kerry are really going to go after a good start, similar to maybe that Tyrone game in the league? Because if Cork are playing defensive, do you think they're really going to try and go after them in the open quarter? It all depends, really. Obviously, that that that, that they um, if Cork set up ultra defensive, it'll take a bit of time to break down. But if they don't, um, I'm sure if Kerry see gaps, they're going to go for it. Like a great pace there, like with Gavin White and these fellas and. Uh, um, midfield, good mobility around the middle of the field now, you know, and, and, and the forwards are lifting, like, so if the, if the space is there, they'll take it, but a lot will depend on how Cork set up and approach the game, really, yeah. Luke Conley as well against Limerick kind of played a playmaking role, but it's hard to see him play this role with the pace of the Kerry, wing-backs against Kerry. Yeah, it is, very much so, yeah, he's a good player, good free-taker, we've, we've had our, our our games against him with, with uh, Crokes and Nemo Rangers as well. So he's, 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 he's plenty of talent. Um, probably things didn't go his way below in Parky Cleave last year either, but again, it was a backstay. Um, it was just a messy, dirty day, really, let's say. So he'll he'll, he'll relish the, the good good conditions, summer football at, at, at the weekend as well. Like, but playmaking role, like, I suppose you're, you're looking maybe at somebody like Kieran Kilkenny popping passes, things like that. Is that in Luke Connolly's game? I think more of a finisher, but we'll see. In the end, what do you think will be the difference really between the sides? As I said, I I I I won't say like it'd be it's it's a decent Cork team, well prepared. I think Kerry will win by probably five or six points. That, that that's what I expect really. That's it, yeah. Did the departure of um James O'Donoghue during the week surprise you? Yeah, again, you see, just again, when you're not part of the camp, you don't know, let's say, is there niggles, whatnot, like, uh, I think he played with his club on Saturday, Saturday evening or Sunday, I can't recall, and he only played a half, so is there injuries there, you just don't know, let's say, like, and I know myself as I got a bit older, just can get very frustrating when you're trying to get back and trying to get back and something else breaks down in your body, and like, the fact that he's only played as in 85 minutes in two years, like, it, it, there's no doubt whatsoever he's talented, Um, but the poor man is, is, is has been has been cursed with injuries like you know so again without without knowing the ins and outs of it yeah it's a disappointment he's not going to be involved it's, it's a disappointment because everyone likes to see a fish good James O'Donoghue nobody's doubting his talent but he, he's just been cursed with injuries very unfortunate yeah no you definitely um, have a bit of sympathy from there as a talent do you think he still has a future with Kerry? Um, again, let's say, even I was finding oh nine. I took a year out and I came back then 11, 12, 13, let's say, so sometimes it gets back with your club, they, you start enjoying it a bit more and whatnot, so possibly that, like I got, I knew there was just a few niggles and things like that in my body and go back to the club and like it's, it's highly unlikely he's going to be seen in 2021 with, with, with Edinger County level, 
if he's a good year with the Legion and just starts enjoying his football again, you could um you could see him again, let's say, in a carry jersey. Yeah, no, it'll be definitely interesting to see. Um Owen Brosnan, thanks a million for your time. Joined by former Galway senior footballer Eddie Howard to look ahead uh, to the kind of final between Galway Mayo and Eddie, it's a unique kind of final, I suppose, with it taking place in Crow Park this weekend. Yeah, most certainly it's it's novel to have the game in Crow Park. I think there was some people raised concerns regarding uh, switching the venue, but me personally, I think it's a great opportunity for a lot of young guys in both squads to get a taste of Crow Park and obviously in the current environment that we're in um, it gives supporters and more supporters the opportunity to go and and and, and watch their 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 teams in a, in a kind of final but yes a novel novel event in terms of the location but I'm sure it'll be equally as competitive whether it was in Pierce Stadium or McHale Park and most certainly looking forward to it. Yeah it has to that bit of excitement, I suppose, and something different, I suppose, on Sunday now, seeing all the Galway Mayo jerseys on Jones's Road. Yeah, most certainly. Look, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the last time Galway Mayo would have played is in 2001 in the league final, and Mayo won on that occasion in Crow Park. So, again, it's a, it's not every day people from the West, Galway and Mayo, both go to Crow Park and to be playing each other. It will have that air of excitement around it. And there is obviously that competitive nature between both um, sets of fans within the 70 minutes and obviously maybe the day of, but the camaraderie amongst both supporters I'd expect will be will be really, really good. And there always is that good atmosphere amongst Galway and Mayo supporters. And obviously, while it will be very competitive when everyone sits down and goes into Crow Park, I'm, I'm looking forward to that element of an atmosphere. And in the times that we're in, any type of a atmosphere, any type of a, a gathering is, is most welcome. Absolutely. As a player, is it a game you kind of always look forward to when you're playing? Yeah, look, at that level, the pinnacle in terms of from a Connacht perspective is winning a Connacht title. And obviously, all the lads in the dressing room, I can imagine, are looking no further than winning a Connacht title. And then you set various different objectives. But to win a Connacht title, to beat Mayo on a Connacht title from a Galway perspective, is definitely very, very sweet. I know in 2008, I remember going down there and my first year involved in the squad and Park Joyce captained the team and the scenes in Euphoria after beating Mayo were were, were really um, something that you'd always remember. I also remember after, I suppose, a barren period then for a number of years, different managers in and out and Galway, I was involved in 2008, um, 16 I think it was, we eventually, finally, under Kevin, we bet Mayo in the Connacht semi-final and the scenes that night as well in McHale Park, we won the Connacht final two weeks later after a replay against Roscommon, but the scenes after beating Mayo seemed, were, were that even bit more exciting because the rivalry that is there amongst Galway and Mayo, obviously, we hadn't won one in a while, I think since 2008, but it was a semi-final. And it, but it was against Mayo and you could see that sense of relief, that sense of satisfaction amongst players and management and it's another scene that you won't forget and both of those occasions were actually in McHale Park but other examples you can see I remember Galway in 2005 a scorching hot day in Pier Stadium and again Mayo came up in a full crowd in, in Pier Stadium and a really a game that you'd, you'd always remember 1998 again the first round of the Connacht Football Championship and um, Galway went up to Castlebar. Mayo obviously were on the back of 96-97, two All-Irelands, three appearances in finals. And again, that win really set Galway on, on what was a, a really memorable year. The following year, again, 
Galway All-Ireland Champions, inviting and welcoming um, Mayo to Tume. Again, as a young person following a Galway, I'll never forget the crowd that was in Tume. I don't think there was ever a crowd there. But again, Mayo won that day. And to, for their supporters, it was like winning in All-Ireland, no more than Galway the year before in Castlebar. Just that sort of sense of beating your neighbour or your rival, it's, it's, it's certainly resonates with me as a player and I expect the players on Sunday and both sets of supporters too. And with all the talk about the provincial championships at the moment and a lot of them being a dead duck, like I suppose this is a great game now to have this Sunday. It, it certainly is. And look, in terms of re, um, re, rescheduling or, or mixing up the, the, the games going forward or splitting into Division 1, Division 2 and two-tier championship, I think I would still be strongly in favour of keeping a certain element of, of a, a provincial championship um, at least to be run off in some form. Because again, the, the pride of winning your province is, is a really good prize and it's something that a lot of players um, aspire to do and obviously give Kerry and Cork down down south, you've obviously Dublin are very dominant at the moment, but Dublin Mead back in the 90s was also a really good rivalry. You see up north, the Ulster Championship is probably of all championships, bar the Munster Hurling Championship, I'd say, is probably one of the best. So again, I'd be keen to keep the or maintain the um maintain them championship the, the provincials, albeit maybe not in the same format. But in terms of Sunday, yes, Connacht is one of the more competitive provinces. Obviously, look, Mayo have come through Sligo and Leitrim, probably two mismatches that don't do, the optics of it don't do the championships good. But look, Galway had a very competitive game against Roscommon. And equally, I expect on Sunday that it'll be a really close encounter between both sides. And it'll be a good advertisement for football and hopefully a good advertisement of the potential that provincial championships do actually have when they're played competitively amongst, let's say, Division One, Division Two teams. Looking at Goa Mayo and from a Goa perspective, the narrative really has been the league was tough on Goa, but if they can take the learnings from the league, and you could see in the Ross Common game, like it, it wasn't a great day to play football, but if they can really take them learnings forward, it, it could be huge for them. Most certainly, and up in Hyde Park, it was a, as you said, a very difficult conditions to play football in, but the Galway's attitude and their application was really something that you, you would stand up and, and look at and take note of because they were, to a man, were like very, very focused. They dusted down, wiped down, and you could see that little bit of hurt in them. They were very, very unlucky, let's be fair. I think they played the majority of the football in Clonus and were just caught at the end. Again, potentially a few senior players were off the pitch, a little bit of inexperience among some of the younger lads in terms of closing out the game. It was sort of unforgivable, some of the mistakes. But like, it's league football. Galway are still going to be a Division Two football team. The most important thing, like you said, from the league is the learnings. And from what I witnessed in Hyde Park three weeks ago, um, Galway did learn from it. They obviously came in with a proper attitude, had obviously trained very hard and came in with that little bit of hurt. And I'd expect that a similar attitude will 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 we we will see a similar attitude amongst the players on Sunday and I hope so and what better occasion than Mayo in Co Park to bring the best out of that young group of players. The youngsters in particularly stepping up from that under twenty, I think all around the county, particularly Paul Kelly and Matthew Tierney, how they've transitioned so quickly into the senior team has been very pleasing. It certainly has. And the most important thing, I suppose, in every setup is the continuity and bringing through young players. You see Dublin every year last year, they brought through Robert McDade. They had a few other young players. They always scully a few years ago. They always seem to bring through one or two merchant, different ones. 
every year and it's important to keep a, a setup fresh but it's one thing bringing them through but it's another thing seeing them make an impact and an impression and to be honest and paul kelly and um and matthew tierney they've seamlessly transitioned in they look they're like lads that have been playing um senior football for a number of years they look to be enjoying enjoying it they're expressing themselves and they're taking risks and as you can see from the recent performances they're playing 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 very well and evidence are they're scoring they're enjoying it and performing well and, and as i said transitioned very well into, into the squad but that said there's a lot of good senior players in the squad as well the likes of your paul con paul conroy is there you have lean silk who's been there for a number of years and obviously up front you have damian gomer and shane walsh so having that experience around them as well makes that little bit easier to transition in whereas maybe a few years ago when galway had been on a little bit of a um a lull in terms of um from a football perspective when Mayo were on their five in a row for Connex, maybe there was too many young guys being blooded in and maybe that base wasn't there. Whereas now you can see that base. And I think even the likes of Paul Conroy, he's definitely obviously a, a stalwart in, in, in Goa football for nearly 14 years now, I'd say in the Goa jersey. But you can even see his energy has improved with the influx of the young guys and his performance and all round. Um, I suppose um, leadership has has also grown, so it's had a it's had a double effect, um, which is great, you know. Damien Comer lined out a wing forward against Roscommon. Would you like to see him closer to the goal towards against Mayo? Yeah, obviously. Look, he he started at ten. For large parts, he probably was drifted in and out from the square and out to ten, in and out. And um, I'd expect on Sunday that we'll see. Damien Comer a lot closer to the to the 14 position. We might expect to see Shane Walsh drifting out then a little bit out to out to 11 and maybe Peter Cook, Matthew Tierney and Paul Conroy maybe forming a, a three across the middle with Tierney coming in and out because he is a good outlet for the advanced mark inside. But in terms of Damien, I'd expect to see Damien inside in the front line. I'd expect, I'd expect uh, Paul Kelly to drift out as well and maybe Damien to be in and you'll see the likes of um, your Paul Kelly working the loop off, uh, off Damien and also um, at pace you'd hope the runners like your Matthew Tierney's, your Peter Cooks, your Damien, uh, your Shane Walsh's will be coming but um, I would expect like you said um, to him to be deployed closer to goal and Mayo again O'Hora uh, is a little bit inexperienced full back so it would be interesting to see how uh, James Horn would would adapt to Damien being put in around the square because um, Oshin Mullen obviously would have a bigger height advantage than than Parik O'Hora. So would it be would it um, shift their defensive unit? I'd expect it would. And the interesting thing about this game, like Oshin Mullen could go back to full back and then Sean Kelly cornerback, and like both of them are nearly going to need man markers because for both sides they're nearly the two players that set up the counter attacks. Most well, certainly, yeah. Sean Kelly has that, I suppose, ability to ghost up the pitch unopposed. He can wriggle away from tackles, has really good football ability, solo hop. He can keep his head up. He's that basketball sort of vision and um, that he can see a pass ahead and always seems to find himself in good positions. And he's a really good fitness reserve. But equally, like you said, Parker um, Oshin Mullen on the, on the other end seems to have a similar type of style of play in a pops up in different positions. So that's why I say if he is deployed to maybe take out, take on Comer, which I don't know if he will or he won't, but just from a height perspective, it will be an attacking weapon taken out of the Mayo defence. But just those guys, if they're going up the pitch, they will need to be tagged. So I'd expect he'd probably hope to have Paul Kelly closer to our goal. So maybe the likes of Affinian Olai will be adopting or deployed as maybe a defensive sweeper for goal like he has recently. I expect he'll have to 
try at least to maybe tag some of those runs. But again, some of the guys up front, the likes of Robert Finnerty, even Shane, Damien, again, it's important the concentration levels have to be high because if they can if they can keep at their man and not let him make that initial burst, it'll make that a little bit easier and the overlap won't come. Last year, the sides uh, met. It was the last time they met. Mayo obviously winning out 14-13, but one thing that Galway probably look back on is the poor start and it's something you'd think they'll target because they just left themselves with nearly too much to do last year. Well, certainly, yeah. And last year, I suppose, to be fair, in, in defence of the players, they started the league so well, they had a long break for COVID and then were hit with Sligo having COVID cases and ultimately pulling out. So we didn't actually have any um, game or competitive championship game before playing Mayo. And you could see it out there. Mayo had a few games played. They were that little bit more in tune with the championship style. They were more used to playing with each other. It was obviously Porrick's first year. So I think that, in a way, um, it was a big disadvantage for Galway going in last year. Um, and you could see it. They really had only played for 20, 15 or 20 minutes. And by all accounts, probably should have won. They were unlucky with the with the foul on Paul Kelly at the or Sean Kelly at the end. This year would probably be a penalty. And they could very well have won it and haven't played... Um, so poorly for long parts and not just poorly were cold and looked like they weren't really at the pitch of championship but um this year obviously the the Roscommon game would have stood to Galway and Mayo would have two games as well which will stand to them in some part but I think the Roscommon game would have been a better um contest a better test for Galway in terms of preparing for Sunday so hopefully like that if we can get a longer bank of, of dominance from Galway next Sunday I'd expect that the scoreline and the, the final result will hopefully be more favourable. Do you think as well maybe the difference could just be Mayo were obviously missing a lot of players due to COVID and injuries in the semi-final against Leitrim so there is a bit of uncertainty and the loss of Killian O'Connor this weekend could be huge because like, I suppose Ryan O'Donnell has been on the freeze but he hasn't really been taking freeze under pressure when the game's in the melting pot. Yeah, that's a big part, it's a big aspect of the game, that how he reacts to it. I'd expect Ryan O'Donoghue has never stepped over a free in Crow Park. He might have done it at club level, and it's a big step up. It's a big responsibility. Killian O'Connor is seamlessly, I think, the highest scoring, scoring player in championship history, and he's seamlessly taken up that mantle. I know they had Morris Jordan before, so a free take is so, so important. And equally with Galway, we have Matthew Tierney now, who's able to strike them on the left, Shane Walsh on, on, on the right foot. And on the left hand side of goal. So we have two really good free takers. So again, I'd expect Galway's um, percentages in terms of conversion of frees will be high. So it'll be important for Mayo to at least stay in the game to make sure they're chipping over their scorable frees. So again, a lot of pressure on Ryan O'Donoghue. But look, as I said, he's inter county level. And Mayo have a lot of other good forwards around, like Conroy and obviously Darren McHale, who's come through the cones. So they've also good um, options. So the fact that he is been taking the freeze, I'd expect he's taken them and, and scoring them in training and has done over the last few weeks. But again, the pressure of 18,000 people in Crow Park as well is going to bring an added dimension that he wouldn't have probably experienced before. So again, it'll be interesting to see how that develops on Sunday. And where do you think Galway can come out on top in the end? I think one sector that I'd be looking in terms of Galway is the middle sector. Again, we have three good big lads. We have obviously Conroy. Paul has like six foot plus. You have Matthew Tierney, you have Peter Cook, who's grown every game, I suppose, has missing last year. He was a last at the setup. Obviously, missed Mike Collins' run to the 
to Frank Fox and he, he you can see that hunger, that bite is in him. He's improving with every game. We, I've watched him this year. Um, that middle sector, I think we can maybe get at Mayo. Stephen Cohen isn't a natural midfielder, I wouldn't be thinking. I know he lined out a midfield, whether he'll line out there, you might potentially have Conor Loftus and I expect Matthew Ru Ruan. But again, that's a sector. If we can have a bank of three big six foot plus guys across there, if we can get enough um, win more than 50% of their kickouts and, and, and the majority of our own kickouts. I think Mayo, we can cause trouble for that Mayo full back line, but we'll only do it if we can win enough ball in midfield to get it into the likes of Damien who might be in there, the likes of Robert Finnerty on the loop. Um, and I think that is the main area where I'd be looking to get at Mayo is to try and win that midfield third, get long ball in early inside because you have a few guys in there who probably are like you have the Plunkett is in one corner, you have Porik Ahora and the other corner then as well. You have three relatively inexperienced inter-county players in the full back line. And now this is the Mayo team that you'd normally be used to. Keith Higgins, Colin Boyle, Harrison maybe back the next day, I'm not sure, another all-star. So again, they're all big names um for, for, for Mayo that have left the setup in recent years or aren't as actively involved in the setup. Um so that's the, an area I think Galway can get change out of. So that's why I'd love to see Damien close to goal. I'd like to see Damien Shane Walsh operating at times. I'd like to see Matthew Tierney operating in and out as an advanced mark option. And if we can get enough scores up there and have good faith in our own defence to be able to shut it out on the other end, especially with Killian O'Connor missing, who's obviously their main marksman. Yeah, the interesting point there you make about the middle third and something Goel obviously be very aware of is the role Matthew Ryan played last year. Like he, he got a very high number of possessions last year, man of the match in the end, and you'd expect maybe Matthew Tierney could pick him up. Yeah, Matthew Rowan obviously came through the ranks a good minor. I think that he lost in All Ireland final, but was pivotal to their to their in in that final. He might have I think won in under twenty one with Mayo. Um, and one under twenty one final. So again, he is a good. He's a big unit. He's a good player. He can. He's skilled. He, he scored two points again last year and deserved man of the match. He put his head in on the line and he was like a guy that was well up for it. Who probably said, "Now is my time to to own that Mayo jersey." And to be fair, he did last year in Pierce Stadium. But now it's I suppose an opportunity for the likes of, as I said, Conroy Cook and Tierney. I could see the likes of Peter Cook, another guy who has such good potential and. It's now his time to own a Galway jersey and, and, and make it his. And I think Sunday could be a time where we see him that that means sort of streaking and we you know he has the skills, we know he can kick a point. So while Matthew Ruan obviously last year, I think the likes of Peter Cook, I think it's it's the likes of him who I could see sort of looking at a, a role of sort of taking on Matthew Ruan and taking the game to him. The likes of Matthew Tierney, I'm not so sure he'd be tasked as much as closely with that because we rely on Matthew again to more um, of an offensive option in terms of being in and out of time. So maybe I'm not sure what course it would take, but again, it's important that those runners are tracked because last year, them overlaps killed Galway and effectively um, it was them scores at the end that cost Galway in the end and it was only one point, but it was them overlaps from midfield. So again, as I said, them three across the middle is going to be pivotal in terms of um, curtailing the, the Mayo influence up front. As well, Eddie, like it wouldn't be a massive surprise to see extra time in this game. No, Galway Mayo, there's often, like last year, Galway played four for large parts, probably could have brought it to extra time, we're very unlucky to, not to, I think, Shane had a free to equalise it. In most bar one or two occasions, there's very rarely a kick of a ball, more than a kick of a ball in it between both sides. I'd expect no different on Sunday. Obviously, look up front, we'll be looking for the likes of Robert Finnerty, 
who who has had a really good season again to the goal threats that we have, the likes of Shane Walsh, the likes of Damian Comer, the likes of Robert Finnerty, a goal is a massive score next Sunday. It's going to be say relatively low score and it'll be tactical known both obviously definitely James Horan, he's a tactical manager, he's defensive in in in, in the way he, he he sets up. So he'll be keen, like he they haven't conceded a goal in their first two games, albeit they've been largely dominant, but again, I'm sure they're working on that. They worked on that previously. But Galway have options up front who can score goals and get goals and open, create openings. You have Paul Kelly, Sean Kelly running from deep. Johnny Heaney is another one. So again, it's to be ruthless. To if the goal chances come, we need to take them, and that'll be pivotal. But as you said, I wouldn't rule out extra time, um, and um, I wouldn't expect that there'd be more than two or three points in it either way. Yeah, no, it's definitely a game to look forward to. But Eddie Howard, thanks a million for your time. Delighted to be joined by former Cork senior footballer Polly Sand to look ahead to Cork versus Kerry this Sunday in the Munster final. Polly, how are you feeling as a Cork supporter going into this tie? Um, look, I suppose in the day, there's always, look, it's, it's a Munster final. And that brings its own, and because of the rivalry, and I suppose, you know, you just, I suppose, obviously, haven't played there previously, whatever being involved at that level, it's just that just creates its interest straight away, like, you know, and it's, it's, you know, so I suppose just looking forward to seeing how the, the whole thing unfolds, even though it'll be, um, I suppose, unusual again, like where there'll be uh, such a small crowd there for 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 the return to Clarny, we call it, like, you know, but um, but still. Once the ball is thrown in, that'll be relevant, and um, just just looking forward to it, I suppose. Yeah. And as Pat Spillane and a lot of pundits are talking up Kerry as nearly to to be there in the reckoning for the All Ireland, there's no real pressure going in on Cork because apart from people inside the camp, maybe a few Cork supporters, no one else is really expecting them to get a result this weekend. Oh, definitely. Like us, but yeah, because it's been all up, I suppose in recent times. It's all about maybe that. Dublin are not motoring at the same level as they not normally will be or the same smoothness, we call it, and a few different distractions, um, like the clocks and et cetera, and a few retirements. But then, and it says, yeah, who, it's going to be Kerry's year or whatever. The other team. Yeah, so like the pressure is off Cork per se. Like, so yeah, so maybe that is, um, that is something they can use to their, I suppose, possibly use their advantage, like where there is no expectation only what's internally in the group, like, but, and hopefully they can, they, they can rise to the occasion that way too. Like they can really, um, uh, I suppose, take the game to carry. Do you know what I like? Because in the yeah, because in the day there is just still a lot of uh, you want to call it pressure on Kerry. Like because you know there's been they've been heavily criticised for the performance last November. You know, and there's been a long break, and you would think things have been going well enough for Kerry since this season started. Like so, yeah. Look, there's it's kind of a combination like this. When there's, there's, when there's so much expectation on one team, you know, that's not a guarantee that Kerry are going right. You might, they're not going to suddenly start unreal, like, do you know what I like? And it's up to Cork maybe just being to the pitch of it straight away, like, and, you know, and, but yeah, but isn't that, but that's just, that's as the intrigue of it. Do you still think in inter county setups, obviously, what's been said about Cork this weekend? Is that still used as motivation and maybe one or two articles, or is that? up on the wall or is that kind of gone in the game you mean use his motivation say for regards Cork like the fact that they're being written off yeah Um, I'm not well who knows well from my perspective that's not really Um, because in the lead up to a game you're kind of 
players that I know it's forgetting about COVID for a second, like, but you're, you are very much in a bubble per se, like, and you're just focusing on what you need to do individually and collectively, like, and obviously understanding the maybe the strengths and weaknesses of the team you're playing. And, um, but like for me, in regards to managers I've been involved with, it hasn't really been used. I couldn't say, you know, these new, but like, but who's to say? Like, it's if, if no doubt there's, um, you know, there might be a newspaper article up on the wall, but certainly a manager or a person may still use um, a certain comment or whatever to add to maybe some sort of um, um, mental preparation leading to game. Like, but I don't look. I don't see that being um, a massive thing um, regards Cork. I just think Cork is just a case about just focusing, getting their own, um, like their own performance will have to be at a very high standard, like, and it's just a case of um, trying to get that right. Is it safe to say, as Cork have went on this year, they've gradually improved, especially the Limerick game, like there was a bit of talk that Limerick could cause a shock, and you'd have to say Cork did look relatively impressive in that game. They did, I suppose. Look, if you look back to maybe the first day of the league, or I think so look back to last winter, the Cork were expected to win maybe the Munster final, and look, it didn't work out in the story. You know, very poor result. All right, and um, and then you look back this year, right? Started the Kildare game relatively well, then it went downhill from there. Poor performance, bad start. So then, from then, like, there's been expectation, like, well expectation but they, they've needed to get results like you know so like the following week I think they went away to leash you know and after losing Kildare any in a way game you know and like and it wasn't look I thought that game was very much up and down like some great play but some really average poor poor play but they got the result you know and I think from there am I right in thinking they played uh, Clare after that away and again looking at results over the previous few years Clare would have been the favourites for that and um I'm right in thinking the Cork got a result in that game yeah. as well, yeah. you know. And then from there, then they had the Westmead game, and again, yes, I suppose conceded something like 24, 25 points. Am I right on the day? Like, which is too many scores, you know, kind of an open game, but still got the result. So I suppose for me, for maybe the like, even there's been a lot of changes in the Cork team through injury and different reasons from maybe even two seasons ago, um, and and like when um. And I just think those wins were still very beneficial, particularly for the more inexperienced members of the panel. Like even guys that came in last winter, the likes of um, um, Sean Me and there and, and 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 so on, and Kevin O'Donovan and so on, the likes of them. Like winning, like winning is a habit. Like I don't care who you're playing, and were, like as I said, so they were all close games. So I, so I think those wins then stood to the team when they played Limerick. They will again. I think look if you look at it. I'd be concerned still with the amount of chances Limerick created, you know. But the bottom line, I suppose, and again, Cork had disruptions. There was players went off injured. Daniel Manny, Sean Potter went off injured. But they still finished the game. Some players didn't play as well as you would have liked. But they still finished the game very strong and, and won the game comfortably in the end. Do you know what I So, like, it's kind of, while going into the Munster final, you wouldn't be happy with, you, be, you feel you should be playing better. Over collectively overall, but attacking well, particularly defensively, but still, you kind of say they're still building up. Um, like you asked the question, have they improved? Well, certainly from the whole area, having to ground out victories, um, and um, when things aren't going as well, um, or when they've had periods in games where they haven't played as well and being able to respond, I think there's, there's certainly shown elements of that. Um, 
this year, like, do you know? But it's a different ball game altogether, whether that'll be enough for um for Sunday. Do you expect them to kind of I suppose play with a similar system to last year against Kerry? Um I look I think it's a combination, like I think they have to play very smart. Do you know, like I I just don't think it's a case of setting up trying to be ultra defensive and and kind of trying to keep the score down. I think you know, there was a small bit of that in Tipperary's performance um a few weeks ago, like where they kind of and they were solid enough early on. They had their two sweepers, but then maybe like some Michael Clinville and Connor Sweeney were kind of starved of possession. Like I think Cork will try to be very solid at the back, but but really I still think they'll they'll need to take the game to Kerry, like, you know, attacking. And I just think that will help them overall. Like, I just don't think it'll suit Cork to set up ultra-defensive, like, and I don't think that's, and that's not something they've done. I know they were kind of solid and defensive in their game last year, but but it's not kind of, um, how would I say, like, it's not just purely blanket defence and shutting up shop and hope for the best. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and, like, and, and I suppose the key thing with that is in that game last year, it was monsoon conditions at times, but, like the narrative going away from the game was right. Kerry didn't play well. Cork were very solid and set up the fence. But Kerry still created a lot of chances in the game. Like, you know, on the night their conversion rate wasn't good enough. David Clifford missed chances. I know conditions weren't great at times. Maybe Kerry didn't set up with enough scoring forwards. You know, was it my right in thinking Brian Obio Glock started as a wing forward, yeah. I think, on the night? Just things like that. Like, but like, so like, I just basing that off and basing on how they Cork have performed in the league, I just think it'll be, um, It'll be a combination, like because they have attacked since the Kildare game. They have um, shown uh, moments of very good attacking play. Like, but I suppose the balance will be like is that no matter how good they're, they need they need to have a good, still good attacking play. And I think they will get some joy with that. But the bottom line is that no matter how well they're going to play, Kerry are going to have their moments. And if they're not good enough defensively, well then this is always when you play the higher level teams. Well, they will get punished. Do you know what I mean? Like, and and um, and while I know Kerry could have the capability of scoring 20 plus points, but still, I just, you were feeling Kerry will go for the juggler on, like they look for goals. And I just think it's important if, if Cork can um, um, keep concession of goals to the minimum early on, like, and I just think that then they have a chance of being in the game, then, like, you know. And we've talked numerous times um, already about Kerry's press this year and the really yeah. going afters. And that's something Cork are going to really have to plan for because. Like Kerry went after Nine Morgan's kick out against Tyrone. Yeah, and it's even something that you would say it's maybe something Cork have, have you're looking about improvement. Like when you say Michael Martin's in goal, you think Cork have developed um, or looked to develop different options regards to our kickouts, you know, over the last couple of seasons. Like, and, and you'd be, yeah, you'd be thinking, like, based on looking at Kerry's, say, targeting Nine Morgan, that they would look to do something similar. And um, and I'm right in thinking, like, you know, I, I didn't see the game against Clare, like, but they did put the Clare goalie kick out under a good bit of pressure as well in, in, in the first round game of the Monster Championship. Like, so yeah, certainly, like, and, and that'll be, so that's a big, again, that's a big one. Then again, you're looking at how will Cork get on, like, if their kick out goes well, you know, well then, and I think from what I'm aware, their kick out went well enough last November in, in, in Parky Cueve. Well, then that's, that's, again, that's a, that's a positive, like. And that's limiting goal scoring chances, easier goal scoring chances. Like, you know, and I think that's what I think Niall Morgan's kick came under pressure, like and 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 um uh Kerry really uh, punished him on it like when they got when they got those couple of goals in the first half before you know it into his game over. Do you know, like so yeah, it's gonna be but isn't that the whole intrigue of it, like and and um yeah, and and um but hopefully as I say that uh Cork have their um 
their homework done as such, like in the ability to to deal with that kind of a press. The role of Luke Connolly is going to be very interesting here. He played in a kind of deeper role, nearly kind of at eleven against um, Limerick, and was supplying the ball to the inside line. But the thing about it here is, if he plays in the half forward line, like he's not going you. It's not a Luke Connolly's game to go tracking the carry half back line. So, what do Cork do with Luke Connolly? Well, I suppose if you were to ask me, is he going to start at eleven? I don't think it's. I I don't see him starting at eleven. I might think he'll start inside, but maybe a freedom to kind of um roam around, or sometimes. So sometimes you find himself near goal, which you see off McCork, but sometimes then you might find him being more of a link man or more of a creator, maybe between the the half line and the, the inside line. But yeah, but I think that if they um if the way Kerry are going at the moment, they're very strong and very quick and powerful in the half back line. Like, and I just think that um. Um, yeah, I just think Cork won't be able to maximise Luke's strengths like the if they play him further away from the goal. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, so I, t- I just imagine he'll be closer to the goal. And again, I just think that um, I think last year, like in in, in no, I know Helen's out injured at the moment, like, but like he set up centre forward and um in that game last November, like normally would be a midfielder, like so I would imagine Cork would probably sit up with something, someone or of similar. You know, some sort of midfield or wing back or some sort of um in that kind of position rather than a an out no creator like Luke Connolly as such. Yeah, possibly Rory Dean there. Um but as well, do you expect the court wing forwards to drop back and give that license to the likes of Maddie Taylor and Sean Powder to attack the carry defence? Um they will, but I just think that will naturally evolve as part of the game. I, again, like I don't see Cork kind of, I don't see Rory Dean or or um, who else might be in half hour lane, Brian Hartnett or whatever, kind of turning their backs and going ultra defensive. Like I think, look, when Kerry get possession, the first pace and the half back, then you're going to have to track and you're going to find yourself back to field. And I just think that if if Cork defend well and get pressure on Kerry and force turnovers, well, then I just think then it's it will create opportunities for the likes of Powder in particular, who did very well against Limerick. And for um from t- for Taylor to get forward, do you know? So um yeah, so like so like yeah, so like, I suppose that's where um that's where I see it. Like so, uh, it, it's, I suppose the better way, the better the better Cork, um the better Cork defend, the better you're going to get opportunities you're going to get for the likes of Potter and um Potter and uh, Mahi Taylor. And it's like it's a good point you make there about like their work rate out the field and. They really are going to target turnovers further out the field because that, like, if they can get the turnovers there, it stops the ball from going into Clifford and Tony O'Shea. There is, like, but it's, it's, I know it's easy to talk about it, like, and it's, you know, with the weather conditions and everything, like, it's, it's imagine doing it in this kind of heat, like, you know, it's going to be challenging, but yeah, but it's, isn't it? But then that's the, the whole thing about the squad game as well, like, you know, and, and, um, and yeah, so like that'll be the kind of cork be effective in getting, um, pressure on Kerry around the middle and force him into, you know, 50-50 kick passes or force him into some shooting under pressure or whatever. Like that is the that is the challenge. Like when and um yeah, so like and again even now it's hard to predict, you know, obviously the two injuries in the Cork team from the last day, like it's will there be a few changes? Like I I, I you can imagine there might be one or two changes in the team that won the line out against Limerick, but still hard to actually predict what'll be like, you know. Is this a game you always enjoyed playing when you were playing with Cork against Kerry? 
look, I suppose there's some days you look back, you you didn't enjoy it as much because you were well beaten. But I suppose they're they're when you think back, maybe at the start of a season or think back when you were a young fellow or why why what are you training for or whatever it might be. Look, these are the games you wanted to play like, and that was the motivation of why you wanted to be on a team or whatever, etc. Or play for Cork, and it was to, to compete in games like this, the Munster final against Kerry. Like so, you know, certainly a a motivation, a motivation, and and it helped the drive to improve or whatever. But um. But I suppose regardless, obviously those days you look back and say, yeah, that that was that went well or that was enjoyable. But there's obviously those days then where they weren't so enjoyable when things didn't go as well. But look, that's the that's part and parcel of it, you know. Last week as well, it was a great win for your under twenties against Kerry. But I suppose what has gained a lot of attention since that is Keith Rickens mm-hmm. interview after the game, and it was it was a very impressive interview the way he put it about everything. I suppose, look, I suppose the bottom line, I suppose, in Ke- first of all, I suppose in Keith's role, I suppose, you know, he's um, he's kind of like the head of the J as such, like, or like, and um, in CIT as such, like, so he's, he's years of experience and he's back from Guinea and kind of in, in, like in career guidance in a way and mentoring, like, so uh, he's like, he's, I suppose, that background gives him, um, how would I say, like, it's, it's, it's a great skill set that he'd have, you know, in regards to dealing with that age group. Do you know how I like it? And um, but I suppose regards the like, like I remember seeing the interview, but I can't remember all the components of it. Like, but I suppose the bottom line, I suppose the, you know, there was no preempted speech or whatever. Like, the questions were thrown at him, and he answered them, you know, in in his way. I suppose in one sense, like you know, and um, yeah, it was it was it was um, certainly interesting. Like, but I suppose if you t- if you look back at um, knowing Kirikin, like, would that's you know, or look at some of his interviews or uh, previous, like the. That's, that'd be a trend, like, wouldn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's always, it's never going to be something boring anyway, you know? And just finally to touch on this game, you're obviously hoping that Cork can get a result here, but do you just think the form carries in and the games they've played could stand to them? Yeah, look, it's like this. Look, you look at the form over the last, since the, so we call it the 2021 season started, like, you know, and the bottom line is, Carry over over the course a number of games. Kerry are performing better or they're performing at a higher level. So like you'd have to look at bottom line. Short Kerry are deserving favourites, and bottom line, you know, if Kerry play really well or play to form, you think they're going they're going to get the result, you know. But then it doesn't always work like like that. And I mentioned the example then about there is expectation on on Kerry, you know, will there be an age earlier on, or can Cork keep um, not can see goals earlier on. If Cork come under pressure like they did in 2019 in Parky Cueve, they got a bad start, but they responded. Do you know, like there's all small little things, like, and I and I just think that um um I, like I suppose a bit of a disadvantage with Cork would be, I suppose maybe again the changes in the team, you know, all the way. Like I think Kerry over the last couple of years was still of a more settled team, a more experienced group, and um but still I just think that if Cork can, irrespective of the tactics on the day, etc., just put be in the game come halftime, like, and um. And I just think if you look back at the results or the close games, I don't know close games aren't good enough. You want to win the game, but you look back at the the close games between Cork and Kerry over the last number of years, like you know that that if Cork are in the game at half time, then well then you know anything can happen. Like or they're generally speaking during the game, then down the closing straight. And um, I think that's where I think if you're part of the Cork setup on on um, on Sunday, like you you'd want to be if you're heading to the half time break and you're in the game, well then certainly you're doing a lot of things right, and then. You know, we know what happened last. Um, we know what happened last November. 
in similar circumstances, even though the weather will be, uh, imagine the weather will be slightly different this time. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see. But yeah. Paul Kassan, thanks a million for your time. Two, one. Delighted to be joined by Derek Lynch from Clare FM um, to have a brief look ahead to Clare and Cork in the final round of qualifiers this weekend. But I suppose, Derek, obviously you've got to go to all the Clare games. You must be delighted with the way Clare reacted from the very start of their season. Yeah, it's been a kind of a slow burner, hasn't it really? I mean, there was a lot of talk about the Antrim defeat and then it led to that Wexford League game where we had all the the fallout that, um, that came with it. So, But from there, I mean, Clare went to Leaf the following week, had a really good performance, went to Dublin and beat a team that were in the Leinster final, as it turned out, opened their backyard on that Saturday evening and then Kilkenny at home to finish off the league campaign, which really stood Clare, we felt, in good stead going into the championship. The game against Waterford, I mean, Clare's record in the Munster Championship, nobody needs to tell us it's not that great over the last couple of years, taking out the round robin years. So to get that win was huge. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about that particular decision. Um, it's, it's a bit like Voldemort in the Harry Potter series. We don't mention the, that particular name around here anymore. But, um, you know, there was a feeling Clare were going quite well in that tip game until that particular point happened. And then, you know, it probably fell away a little bit, lost their shape, panicked. But then what a way to respond against Wexford on a, on a searingly hot day down in Thurles to hit 1-7, I think, without reply after Wexford's opening point and then to hold out in the manner that they did. Wexford were always going to come with a late rally. But it was when it got back to three, Claire really showed, I thought, brilliant, brilliant character and then Gary Cooney's goal to top it off. So yeah, there's a real feeling that Claire have timed their run nicely. This is when you want to be peaking. There's no point hitting the heights in, you know, sort of April, May time. It's July and August is is the real championship season. And from that point of view, there will be a little bit of confidence and care about that, Jim. And when you look at the team, it really looks like they're playing for the manager, Brian Lohan, this year. Yeah, they certainly are. We've referenced that a number of times that it's a team that almost personified the qualities that Brian himself brought as a player. You know, that, that heart that we spoke about. But one thing that's really interesting is... I suppose the dynamic within the group and the management. And what I mean by that is I spoke to John Conlon after the game the last day and he referenced that prior to the match in terms of planning for it, a leadership group within the players had sat down with Brian and his management team and together they had formulated their plan. And what he said was that Brian listens to us because he knows that we have the experience and we know what he brings to the party as well. Now, it's not every management will do that. You know, it's often a my way or the highway kind of approach. So Brian trusts his players. He knows the group that he's got. And obviously the lads have huge faith in him as well. Absolutely. And even like it's been referenced um, so much that there can be an over-reliance on Tony Kelly. But the last day, particularly against Wexford, like the unsung heroes of Carl Malone, David Reedy, Rory Hayes, other players stepping up when maybe Tony wasn't at his peak. Yeah, it's um, it's it's something that kind of I suppose would bug you a little bit in the analysis of Clare calling them that that one man team because we know that it's not. I mean, that has been evident right throughout the league. Clare have been getting really good scores from the likes of Aidan McCarthy, Ryan Taylor, Aaron Shanahan is yet to spark in terms of terms of uh, uh, contributing on the scoreboard but he's that outlet ball inside and he's probably suffering a little bit in his game from not being partnered with Shane O'Donnell they had got a 
bit of a partnership going before Shane suffered that injury earlier in the year. So he's been plugging away really good. I mean, David Reedy, as I mentioned, has been a, a real colossus. Getting Colin Galvin back, like Dermot Ryan has been firing scores from distance. So, you know, Tony has probably had two quiet games now in a row. Wasn't particularly effective against Tipperary and probably struggled a little bit from open play against Wexford. But I mean, He's got that X factor. We know that a quiet day for Tony is when he hits double digits. You know, if he scores 10 points, we're still calling it a quiet, which is incredible, really. So, yeah, there's no doubt the scoring burden has been shared. That leadership burden has been shared. And it's a clear team that we feel is probably in a much more mature place now than perhaps they were last year. Is there any update on Shane O'Donnell being back this weekend or... Uh, we understand not. Um, the word on the ground is that he's suffered a concussion injury and may not feature for the rest of the season. Now, that's uh, unconfirmed at the minute, as we say, but I suppose Brian was asked about it after the game. Um, and, you know, true to the, the classy character that he is, he said, look, we, Shane is making progress and that's the most important thing for his health. Don't mind hurling. You know, so that's that's a mark of Brian, obviously, that, you know, Shane's health is, is the number one reason there. So we wish him well in his recovery. Doesn't look like he's going to be back for this weekend. And with the, you know, the championship season now, if Clare get over Cork, it's only another week break again until an All-Ireland quarterfinal. It's week on week from here now for whoever comes through the qualifiers. It's a very, very tight window in, in challenging conditions. So, um, you know, in that sense, which answer your question for Shane this weekend, it's likely you know. I suppose another interesting thing about Brian Lohan and this team, it's not often you see many inter-county managers give older players a chance, like particularly, I suppose, Paul Flanagan and Paulie Fitzpatrick. Yeah, but again, that comes down to Brian came into the job with, with the clean slate and said the guys that perform in training are going to be the guys that will be picked. And even if you watch the match day 26, there's been quite a bit of rotation going on in terms of the subs as well. So it's creating that, that element in training that if you get the jersey and whoever gets it will then come and get it off me. That's the kind of approach, you know, that's the the kind of warrior approach that Brian himself again would have brought on the field. So the two lads have been, you know, they've hardly put a foot wrong in fairness. I mean, Paul Flanagan, a former under-21 winning captain back in, uh, I think it was the 2013 or 14, he was the captain of the 21 team that won. So, I mean, he's been around a long time. He knows the crack. He was uh, with Bellier, obviously, for that 2016 win. And like the Paddy Fitz story is incredible to say he has come to inter-county hurling so late in his career, but he's been doing it for Six Mile Bridge for a long number of years as well. So it's a really good mix and a, and a good approach that Brian has brought with the squad this year. Cork this weekend... Do you think of 2013 straight away when you hear Clare Cork? Always, always. That's the one result we always go back to. Because, I mean, Cork have been a team that even going back, and look, ignore the red top, it's just total coincidence today. But even going back to Gerlach Nan's time in, in the late 70s, Cork was always a bogey team for Clare. You know, we maybe broke that crux a little bit in 95 with that famous goal uh, in injury time in, in that Munster semi-final. But since then, you know, Cork have been a, a, Cork are a great hurling team. There's no question or doubt about that. Just look at those Munster finals in 2017 and 18 when, you know, they overcame Clare as well. The most recent championship meeting between them was back in 2019. I think the round robin series here in Innes on a day that absolutely opened the heavens. We wanted that kind of weather on Saturday, thankfully. So it's going to be a really good hurling game. You know, there's, I think tactics probably won't be as prevalent as they have been in previous games from a Clare point of view because it's just Hurland. When Clare and Cork meet, it's, it's down to Hurland and it's really, really a great spectacle to look forward to. Obviously, Cork are going to pose a huge threat, but would you have your worries just like Wexford late in that game in the full forward line when they were delivering the right kind of ball in to Lee Shane and Conor McDonald and obviously we all know the threat 
that Cork having there, Patrick Horgan could be there, Shane Kingston. It's maybe one area of concern for Clare this weekend. Yeah, possibly. There's a lot, a lot of pace in that Cork forward line. And as you rightly said, it's something that might cause Clare problems. But I suppose the other token of that is that you're looking at a Clare team now that have had a good number of championship games under their belt, three in total, two wins, one loss. Cork have been sitting idle since they lost to Limerick in a Munster semi-final. So I was talking to a couple of former players this week and just asked them, you know, from their point of view, would they rather be rested or would they rather have been tested? And every one of them to a man said they would rather come into a game like this having been tested in the manner that the Clare squad have. So I think Brian has found a nice settled back six. Rory Hayes has been brilliant to cornerback. Connor Cleary has been a colossus in the square. And so has Paul Flanagan. And then you look out the field that John Condon anchoring there between Dermot Ryan and Paddy Fitz. So that's a really settled six. And you also have the option of dropping Colm Galvin back to allow Condon maybe to drop back a line as well. So there's those options open to Brian. I just feel that Clare know an awful lot more about their team now than perhaps Cork do just because of having played those championship games. And in a knockout qualifier, that's not the place you want to be going into with a couple of questions to answer. And don't forget Jamie Harnady going off against Limerick as well. We don't know what his fitness situation is. If he was to be gone for Cork, that's a huge, huge loss to him as well. There's been huge question marks. I suppose everyone's nearly aware of it from Cork and particularly at the back. Is that one area where you really think um, Claire can get after Cork this weekend? Yeah, possibly. And again, it comes down to that word pace. We saw what Ian Galvin did against Tipperary in that opening 15 minutes. I mean, a real great salvo for him. David really brings huge energy. Ryan Taylor brings huge energy. Aaron Shanahan brings that bit of physicality. You know, and those options off the bench then as well. We saw young Mark Rogers from Scarif come off the bench against Wexford and score two points as if he was just poking around in his own backyard. So Claire have got those options, you know, and maybe they just have to vary it up a little bit maybe try and get uh, Tony uh, involved in the play a little bit more when he hits fire. I think that's one major, major question for the Cork defence. Do they have the man marker that will try and put the shackles on Tony like Cahal Barrett did and like Shane Reck did? I don't see it. I don't see who they've got as that specialist marker like a Caleb Lyons as well. You know, who is that man in the Cork defence that they're going to detail for Tony? That's going to be a massive, massive question for them to answer. Do you feel that's the biggest, like key, I suppose, factor this weekend of which team's nearly going to come out on top? Uh, I don't. And it kind of goes back again to the thing of in those games I referenced, like take the penalty decision out of it against Tipperary. Would Clare have gone on to win the game? We don't know, but they were in a good position at the time and they were they were leading, having you know Tony got that goal before the break to do that. Same against Waterford, Tony probably a little bit quieter than usual, still came through. And the same the last day as well. As we mentioned, it's the attention that he gets that probably frees up the likes of the Reedies and the Galvins to make those runs through. And like the one guy that we probably haven't mentioned enough here is Cahill Malone. Like you've got a workhorse like Malone that's going to take serious punishment in a game and just stay going Going. You've got David McInerney to come off the bench if you need him as well. Like I think, again, I go back to just having those championship games under the belt. Clare knows so much more about their team. Cork are going to have real, real questions. Now, they're such brilliant natural hurlers. But again, people talk about Clare being a one-man team with, with TK, and I think that's been blown out of the water a little bit. But a similar accusation could be levelled at Cork in terms of Patrick Horgan. If Clare can cut down on the free count, which they have been doing well in fairness, you know, I think, okay, Lee Ching got a couple late on the last day when the game got a little bit ragged. But if Clare can be that bit more disciplined outside of Horgan's freeze, where does the scoring threat come from? You know, and that's a big, big question for Cork to answer as well. And do you feel as a Clare supporter, like, 
it's vital to get a win just I suppose with the negativity there is around Claire Hurling at the moment yeah, look, it was a long enough winter. Um, you know, pub talk was on even when the pubs were closed. So <laughs> it's been long enough. And there's a real sense of, okay, from an underage perspective, really disappointing losses. Uh, I think is at a 53-point ag- aggregate between the minors and 20s in their two defeats. So there's a lot of work to be done underage. Structural change needed. No doubt about that. Has to start at the top of Clare GA for the future of Clare GA. That's, I think, accepted now at this stage. But in terms of the senior setup, there's a real air of positivity about it and a real uh, bond between players and management as well. And look, Clare got to a quarterfinal last year. I think if you go a step less than you did the previous year, maybe the accusation of regression could be levelled at you as well. So I think from that perspective, if they can get back to an All-Ireland quarterfinal again, potentially get a crack off Dublin and maybe make a little bit more progress, it would be huge. Now look, there's no one in Clare looking beyond Cork and I hate to roll out a cliche that I hate listening to I don't think anybody has ever been caught under an illusion but Clare are under no illusions this weekend either this is a massive hurling test for Clare but as you mentioned from a positivity perspective if they could win it it would be absolutely massive it would extend the summer by another week and just keep that feel good feeling around the county yeah you mentioned there um, about the structures and like Listening to Colin Ryan earlier on, like he was saying, like there is good work being done, I suppose, in the colleges, um, particularly with Flannans and some of those schools. But do you think just overall, John Conlon referenced about the centre of excellence early on in the year, and you mentioned there, like losing by 40 points against Cork was probably the biggest blow to take. Yeah, it was. And it was a big blow for, for essentially, you know, you, you talk about the minor grade, but these were children. Like, I mean, these were 16 and 17 year olds. These are young kids that, you know, were not, they, they were not to blame in the story. They weren't to blame. They didn't have a manager put in place until around November, December time. Um, at under 16 level, they had no one over them at all. So it's very, very difficult to accept that, I suppose, from a Claire Hurling perspective. And there's been lots written about it and there's been lots spoken about it. And you only have to look at like Limerick unquestionably are the gold standard now in terms of structures, in terms of pathways for senior players and in terms of having that cohesive structure between your senior 21 minor 16 down long to development squads it does a clear structured pathway that when you go to the next stage you know what you're going to be doing you're playing a particular way you're doing taking a particular program and everything is just so much more cohesive it's not that unclear at the minute I think people will readily accept that and again you know there was a lot said after the game as well um, it, it just it simply cannot it can't get personal at this point anymore it has gotten personal at times but I think that needs to be part it has to be looked at in an overall sense from a Clare Hurling point of view what's best here for Clare Hurling if change is the best thing for Clare Hurling well then we need that change regardless of who the personnel are and that is not a personal gripe at those people it's just simply people saying does great work have, has been done? Maybe we've stalled a little bit. Maybe we've regressed a little bit. Who knows? We've certainly stalled. Regressed is probably a bit strong, but you know the results speak for themselves. Haven't won a game outside of Kerry uh, two weeks ago in the Under-20 or 21 Championship since 2015. That says enough in itself, you know. So there's a lot to be looked at in Clare. And again, as I say, it has to be looked at totally from uh, almost a holistic hurling approach rather than a personal point of view. I think that's the key factor here. Yeah, and even like there is some promising signs, I suppose, of players that have come through to the setup when you look at Aidan McCarthy and Mark Rogers, particularly. But I suppose for Clare's tradition, they need to be competing, as you mentioned there, like the, the last win against Kerry it, under 20 or um, under 21 level. It's, it's just not good enough, I suppose. 
No, it's not. And like you look at the backbone of the team that won in 2013, they were all successful at minor level. They were all successful, obviously, at under 21 level as well. And then we had those few couple of fellow years uh, following 2013, great league success in 16, very unlucky not to get to an All-Ireland final in 2018 uh, with that replay down in Thurles against Galway. So there have been some green shoots. But it's just what's coming underneath, you know, word from the development squad's results over recent years uh, wouldn't, you know, give you much confidence in terms of what's to come through in the next five or six years. And it's all about, at that stage, developing the players. Results probably don't matter in a lot of ways. Maybe that's unfair to have said that, but it's about having the right people in place in the right positions and developing that cohesive approach. And that has to be a top-down approach. You know, we have to see, and Claire will, you know, we're a proud Hurling County, there's no doubt about that, a proud football county as well, obviously, but football underage has been going quite well in recent times. A lot of this discussion is based on Hurling um, and I think that's what people want to see addressed in, in the next file. Davy Fitz's interview after that Wexford game uh, gained a lot of attention during the week. Um, basically just saying that some of some of it has been discussed. And I suppose the online abuse um, has been discussed, but then referencing to the clear media and like some of the clubs, that kind of did get under the skin of a lot of clear people. It seems to have had, um, look, I, I, without getting too deep into it, I think time and place was probably the the takeaway an awful lot of people had about that. You know, Wexford after being beaten in the qualifier by Clare for the third time in four years. If I'm a Wexford fan or Wexford player, what am I thinking? You know, is I'm questioning where, where the head was in the week leading up to it. So, you know, I think a lot of people were left a bit bemused by it, to be perfectly honest. Um, nobody can condone online bullying or abuse. That's simply not acceptable. There's nobody questioning that. But there has to be a differentiation made between legitimate questions being asked by media, um, opinions being expressed, perhaps criticisms. You know, that's you and I working in the media. We're criticising our content. We're criticising our approach. We take it on the chain. It's part of the job. It's what you sign up for. Um, Intercounty Hurling is no different. So... I think that distinction is probably what a lot of people have, have taken away this week, that if if it goes too far, if it gets, as I referenced, if it gets personal, if it goes beyond Torland, well, then it moves into a different sphere. But if people are just simply questioning and wondering, can things be done better? Um, and if those things can be done better by making a change at certain levels, that's not abuse, that's an opinion. That's a constructive approach. Um, and I think that's where the big difference lies. Very spot on there, Derek. Um, well, Derek Lynch, thanks a million for your time. And I I say Claire and Cork is going to be another trailer. Hopefully. Thanks very much. Delighted to be joined by former Galway senior Tony O'Regan to look ahead to the qualifier clash between Galway and Waterford. Tony, hard enough to know where Galway are, but I suppose a lot of the criticism seems to be a bit harsh after, I suppose one poor performance against Dublin. Yeah, I think the surprising thing for everyone, Paul, really was we had such a consistent league and there was real consistency of performance throughout that and we were scoring so heavily and then to go into the Dublin match and, you know, if you looked at the scoreline, you would have probably thought it was a half-time scoreline rather than a full-time scoreline with, you know, the, the fluidity and the rhythm of the Galway attack the last couple of months in particular. So... You know, it was really disappointing from that aspect, but we did create, I think, over 40 scoring chances. So, you know, if Galway can tidy up their efficiency coming into this weekend, you know, I'd expect us to be a lot stronger in a performance. And uh, I think that would be absolutely vital if we're to overcome Waterford. 
Yeah, no, as you mentioned there, um, a lacklustre performance. Do you think in one sense maybe there was too much put into the league? No, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, Shane and the management team seemed to rotate the squad very well and there was lads getting loads of opportunities. And I think the depth of the squad now is very impressive. I think we've lots of options in defence, midfield and attack. You know, even I think the goalkeeper position has changed this weekend. So it just shows that there's a lot of strength in the panel. And the only way you build that strength, Paul, I think is by giving lads game time and giving lads opportunities. And in fairness, the league, I don't think we had two similar team any day we're out and, and, and the performance level were very consistent. So, you know, I'd expect Galway to get back to somewhere near their best this weekend and, and they'll need that in order to get over Waterford. Yeah, and as you mentioned with the Dublin um, performance, like lots of scoring chances created, but it was just really one of those days where you could just see it was a flat performance. Yeah, and, and that happens from time to time and it's hard to put your finger on it. Uh, you know, unless you're working with the team, was there a bit of complacency there? Did we really respect Dublin going into it? Um, definitely the energy levels and the intensity levels didn't seem to be the same level as we'd seen in the previous couple of weeks. So, you know, I think if Galway can raise the, the pace and intensity of their game and their tackling and, and the speed of moving the ball from defence to attack, like they've been doing all season, I think they'll have too much for Waterford. But, you know, we have to, we have to see that again in the team this weekend. Yeah, and as you mentioned there, like it can be hard to, um, I suppose, recover from a flat performance like that. But like, what will they be doing now, really, after that performance? I, I think naturally after that, you're itching to get back training to, to rectify it. And the sooner you can get a game, the better. I think we've probably had a, a four-week lull now, which isn't ideal with the buy and everything. Um, but I, I'd say lads will be absolutely itching now to play a game and you know, I'd imagine that the, the players and management will have a ferocious hunger to, you know, get a huge performance out of themselves this Saturday. And uh, I think they will have worked on the couple of things that didn't come to the usual standard against Dublin and rectify them and have had time to rectify them. And, you know, they've made a couple of, I suppose, selection changes as well. And it'll be just interesting to see how the Galway lineup uh, plays out on Saturday and the kind of positional uh, situations lads will end up in. And, uh, you know, I think we have huge options there and, and I, I'm expecting we'll be a lot better than the Dublin performance. Yeah, as you mentioned there, the positional um, switches, Dolly Burke has played at six, McInerney's played at full-back, Joe Canning plays, has played at midfield at stages. Do you expect them to stick with that this weekend? Um, I think I'd probably expect Dolly to start at three, if I'm honest, this weekend and Garrosh back to six. Um, you know, if you're looking at the evidence from the league game when Joe went inside against Waterford from midfield, you know, he was absolutely outstanding and, and added another dimension to the forward line. So I'd be very surprised if Joe doesn't spend a good bit of time in and full forward, probably seen him moving out to half forward at different times. I probably don't expect him to see him midfield in this game because Waterford's running game is uh, very prevalent in, in their play. And, you know, I, I think we need you know, very strong runners in that middle third to track those runners and maybe stop those breaks that were happening in the first half of that game in particular in the league where, you know, we seem to get caught on a couple of breaks from midfield and it created overlaps and, and scored in chances for them. So I think when we made those tweaks in the league game with Joe going inside and maybe a bit more mobile with Cahill midfield with Johnny Cohen type thing and Sean Loftus is there, I know, the weekend as well, that we will have 
you know, those runners to deal with that Waterford running game when they do have possession. And you mentioned uh, the Waterford running game there. It's very prevalent um, with their game plan. Go at stages have operated with two inside. Do you expect them maybe to adopt a sweeper or someone around that middle third to try and curtail that running game? I definitely think it'll be in, in the system at different times where you would probably see Brian Guncannon and Joe in as a, a two and maybe Connor Whelan moving further out the field and we drop in, you know, a half forward into midfield and giving maybe a free roll to Porrick at different times to create that seven defender. And I, I think it suits our game and it suits our t- game at different times where it allows us to play maybe more shorter puck outs and work the ball out from the back, but it also gives us you know, that solidness in our defence where we don't cough up many goal chances. So, you know, I think every team will play sweeper systems at different times in phases of play and in quarters of games, depending on conditions and how the game is varying. So I think you need to have that uh, flexibility in your team to do that. And I think players are well versed in that and have rehearsed it a lot. Yeah, no, and as you mentioned there with Waterford, the running game, they haven't been overly impressive yet, but... In one sense, it's dangerous. Like they, it, it could click for them. They know what they have to work on, and I suppose a lackluster performance as well for them against Leeds shows both teams are kind of coming in having underperformed early in the season. Yeah, they've been inconsistent as well, and it's probably been, uh, I'd say, the management team trying out four or five players in most league games. Like the first half against Galway, they looked exceptional for most of it, and then Galway got a foothold on it and. You know, completely turned the game around and won very convincingly. And then I think the following week, then Waterford had tip at home and, you know, I think bet them by seven or eight points. So it just shows. Uh, and then when you look at their championship performances to date so far, uh, the Clare game, you know, I thought Clare could have been 15 points up at half time. They were so dominant all over the field, winning puck outs you know, creating scoring chances and just they weren't clinical enough in those periods. I think the game could have been done by half time and yet, you know, it finished up maybe a four point defeat for Waterford, but it probably felt a lot, lot more. And then you look at the Leash game last week and Leash created huge amount of chances and, uh, you know, with five or six minutes to go in that game, they're only a point down and, and, and Waterford had to pull maybe one, two or one, three out of the bag to, you know, get over the line. So, I think they're a bit unsure of their team at the moment. Uh, they haven't got really a settled, you know, midfield, half forward line, half back line uh, the way they had last year. Uh, and I think it's probably down to lads' form not being as good. But, you know, form is form can come fairly quickly too in training and one match can change that. So uh, I think they'll be dangerous on, on Sunday if they get their selection right and players in their, in their, in their favourite positions. Uh, I think they cause a, a lot of trouble for us, so we need to be very right for it. And who do you expect Galway, um, like what Galway player to pick up Austin Gleeson this weekend? Um, depending, like Austin will probably be playing in the middle third somewhere at different times, so if he's midfield, uh, you'd probably see a Galway combination, maybe of something like Cahill Mannion, Sean Loftus. Um and the way the midfield role has gone, you know, I don't think it's a particular man-marking job that you do in there. You know, when Galway have the ball, you'd expect our midfielders to try and find space or try and link the play from there. And when Waterford have the ball, obviously, you've got to go and press and close down the likes of Austin Gleeson. Um, 
but I don't think there'll be any major emphasis on man marking him. I think whatever position he comes in, I'd say management will trust that the midfielder in that section will 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 be responsible for him or vice versa if he goes into uh, the Waterford half forward line that you know the likes of Finton or, or Shane Cooney or Aiden Hart or whoever's going to be detailed in, in that area would you know have the skill set to mark him on puck outs and you know we get the ball to ground and, and get numbers around it as per normal. And where do you think Galway can really get on top of Waterford here? Yeah, I think there's question marks over the Waterford full back line and the centre of their defence. So, you know, I think Galway will be trying to get early ball into Brian, Connor, Wheel and Joe and just seeing can they test out that rear guard early and get running at them. And also running through the, the centre back channel there as well. I think, you know, Waterford have tried a couple of combinations since Ty DeBurka got injured with uh, young Daly and Austin. I think they've settled on Daly at this point. But, you know, he's still a young player and is still probably learning his trade. So, you know, I think they'll be trying to feed this area and try to score in this area as much as possible and, and run through channels there and create an overlap. So uh, I definitely think there's question marks over Waterford's defence at the moment. And, you know, if we can win enough possession off our own puck out and their puck out, uh, you know, and put them under enough pressure and play the game in their half as much as possible, uh, you know, I think we'll ask serious questions if, if Galway can do that. In recent weeks as well, um, Tony, People have really been questioning, like, Galway have been such a dominant side at minor and under 20 level, but there's probably not as many players coming through. You look really, it's only really been TJ Brennan and Darren Morrissey, but why do you think they, they are struggling at the moment to get a lot of them minor and under 20 players into the senior setup? Um, I think the challenge, Paul, I suppose, is that. Uh... You know, you have your minors now gone back to 17s and young 21 has gone back to 20. So there's actually a huge gap there to the senior then. And lads aren't probably getting enough exposure at those age groups and enough of games at those age groups to, to really develop them into senior players. Uh, and I also think, you know, the last year or two with COVID and everything, you know, the schools programs and the colleges programs have been absolutely zero that's so that's going to have an impact down the line on developing players coming through and it is a concern and a worry um but it is such a massive step up you know i probably was involved with the guy miners with jeff from 2015 to 17 and you know the likes of brian and sean loftus uh, were involved in that and it did take them you know the five or six years to find their feet from there to senior level and you know there's a huge amount of work that they have to individually put in from a strength and conditioning point of view, a nutrition point of view, uh, you know, understanding the mindset required for senior level and also, you know, the level of um, skill and skill development and team play that you have to develop for senior hurling. You know, it is a big step up, that intensity, that pace, the quickness of decision. So you do probably need two or three years in that environment of senior level to acclimatise to it, to get used to it and then start to maybe get your chance in a league game and, you know, you go, we've had a very competitive panel, let's be honest, uh, the last five or six years in particular, uh, you know, been in two All-Ireland finals and, uh, you know, it's, it hasn't been an easy 15 to break into and it hasn't been an easy 26 to break into and that's a very healthy thing. So a young guy that we're maybe seeing in a minor final or an under 21 campaign that's doing quite well, you know, it is, a, an, a, I would say, another two levels above that that he's trying to reach and, and he needs a good club programme, a good colleges programme 
and he needs to really look at it and say, you know, he needs to put three or four years into his own development around that, around his skills to, to give himself an opportunity and the chance to challenge for a position in that 26 or, or 35 man squad. So it's not just uh, an A to B to C type thing. It, it, there's a, a lot of moving parts in it and, uh, you know, everyone individual is different too, where he ends up, does he go to college? Is he working in Galway? Does he go travel? And all those factors can kind of uh, negate whether he gets into that panel or, or he progresses as a, as a player from minor to 20s. Do you think it'll be like you've obviously been involved with um, the Galway minor setup, as you mentioned, but do you think it'd be better from a whole GA perspective if we went back to minors under 18 and under 21? Personally, yeah, I would be in huge favour of that, Paul. I, I couldn't see the reason for going back to 17s. Um, with transition year and all that, you're still having probably, you know, a lesser number doing the leaving cert while, while, while the minor campaign is going on. And, you know, my experience, even back that time, you know, the management team gave lads the space to study for their exams. They got maybe particularly three to four weeks off around that period. And, you know, the lads that were doing the leaving cert got good results and, you know, Playing sport wasn't the reason lads didn't do well. It was maybe not applying themselves in school or after school or whatever it is. So, you know, I, I can't see the, the reason of it. And, and even looking at the games now, you know, the, the year in the difference, it does feel like very much underage hurling where the minor was probably another year of development for lads. They were 18, they're a bit more mature for it. And, and I think it was very helpful from that perspective. And even the under 21s now, you know, it's very hard to figure out between club and county level who's a tw under 20 and who's an under 21. And, uh, you know, it's so many mixed competitions between the club and the county. Some county boards are, are playing under 18, some are playing 17, some are maintaining 21, some are going back to 20. So even for county managers, I'd say looking on at these games to try and figure out who's who's the age and the age group, it's just made it very difficult. And you know, with under 20 then as well, lads are maybe not getting the three years they might have got at under 21 level to allow them that space to develop, that space to mature. Uh, and, you know, I think three years at, at under 21 level is very, very important to, you know, step into that adult hurling at your own grade and give you that chance to mature and find your feet at it because it is very, very challenging and it's a really competitive place to be. Just as well, um, you obviously previously worked with Limerick. The comeback the last day against Tipperary was sensational stuff. Do you still think they're number one and they're going to be hard to stop this year with that second half performance coming back from 10 points the last day? Yeah, like there's no doubt in that third quarter, Paul, was phenomenal, right? But when I look back at the last two or three weeks and some of the patterns I'm seeing in Hurling, like Galway under 21s the last evening, I think the score at half time was something like 113 to three points. Um, clear in the first quarter against uh, Wexford the last day, I think they'd won 13 to a point or something, you know? So teams are really capable of, of doing that. Like, you know, you look at Limerick's third quarter, it was 210 to a point. Um, so that, that, that's been a bit of a pattern the last couple of weeks. And, and I think if you're not fully tuned in and you get allow teams to get a bit of momentum on you, um, they are capable with the speed of puck outs, the speed of transition of the ball, the scoring areas now on the field that, you know, very quickly a team can get a run of six, seven scores on you uh, and, you know, put the game out of sight. So 
Um, it's not just Limerick that are doing it like Tip did it on Limerick in, in the first two quarters, really. So um, you, you have to be conscious of that and how we're going to maybe deal with those positive momentums in games when team get a run on us. Uh, you know, what tweaks do we need to make tactically? You know, do we need to make substitutions? Do we need to slow the game down? I think these are all conversations for management and players that maybe need to be had now to understand how to gain back momentum when we're kind of losing it like that because you know when you allow a team to put you know 12 scores on you to one in a period of a game it's going to be very very hard to you know bring that back in particularly in, in the conditions at the moment so you know I think teams will be discussing that and be looking at ways to you know negate that kind of positive momentum the teams are building up and you know is reflected on the scoreboard then as well. Yeah, no, that'll it'll definitely be interesting to see how does that still keep happening as the Heritage Championship goes on. But uh, Tony O'Regan, thanks a million for your time.